One January morning in 1956, a man called Jim Elliott got onto a plane and flew deep into the Amazon jungle. He was searching for a tribe of Indians, a tribe that had barely had any human contact before, to share with them the good news of Jesus, that God had broken into this world, that he'd given his life for us, and then risen again, risen again to life so that we could have hope. Jim left behind him his wife, called Elizabeth, and his 10-month-old daughter called Valerie, and he never came back. He and four of his friends were speared to death by the tribe. He served Jesus at the cost of his own life. But was it worth it? I know of another man who's retired now, but um, he spent his life as a maths teacher, a very good maths teacher by all accounts, and was often offered promotions, but he always turned them down. Why? Because he wanted to spend time with his family make sure he had enough time for them and enough time to serve his church family. He served Jesus at the cost of his own career and social advancement. But was it worth it? I know another couple who in their 20s sold their house for a few thousand pounds, used that money to go to Bible college and to train to be missionaries, to go to Southeast Asia and share with their two little daughters, share the good news of Jesus with people there. Now they're approaching retirement and they still don't have a house. They don't have an awful lot of money. They've served Jesus at the cost of a comfortable retirement. But will that be worth it? Or I know countless other people who have said no to romantic relationships, no to love, because they know that a relationship with that person wouldn't help them walk closer with Jesus. They've served Jesus at the cost of romance, of love. But is that worth it? Well, perhaps we might say, yes, you know, it's worth, it's worth it if, they, if they're living out their beliefs, if they're following their dreams, if, they're, you know, if it gives them a sense of personal satisfaction, then yes, it's worth it. But let me read to you something that Jim Elliott, that first man I mentioned, something that he wrote in his diaries when he was a young man. He wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, something Jim Elliot understood, and I think every one of those people I mentioned understands, is that eternal life is worth it. That's what they're looking forward to. That's what Jim Elliot is talking about when he says, something that you cannot lose is worth giving everything for, worth giving everything you have. It's worth pausing for a moment and thinking, if you're a Christian, what does it cost you to follow Jesus? And is it worth it? Are you feeling that it's worth it at the moment? Maybe you're not a Christian, you're just listening in and, and intrigued, maybe I don't know, interested to hear what Christians believe. So maybe you could ask that question in, in a different way. What do you think it would cost you to become a Christian, to follow Jesus? What would it cost you? What would you have to give up, say no to, or give away? What might it cost you and, and would it be worth it? Let's pause and think about that for a second. Matthew 19, verses 16 to 30. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, 
If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. What's so good about eternal life that it would be worth me giving up my whole life now to get it? That's the question we're looking at today. And what is eternal life anyway, and what does it cost? And is it really worth it? Well, that question of cost is the question the young man came to Jesus with right at the very beginning of our story. He says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? What's it going to cost me? Jesus looks at him and says, everything, everything. It's going to cost your whole life poured out sacrificially loving those around you. It looks like loving your neighbour as yourself. That's what's going to, what it's going to cost you. And the man says, okay, I think I've done a pretty good job at that. Jesus says, all right, well then sell all your possessions, take all of your money and give it away to the poor and then you'll have eternal life. Then you'll have real treasure. Then you can follow me. And the man can't do it. It's too much of a cost. He, he basically says no and turns around and walks away sad. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus had asked him to, to do what he couldn't do. Jesus had asked him essentially to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind and strength. Did you see that? He says, see this man, his problem was that he loved money with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. He, money was the thing that he thought about all the time. Money was the thing that he worked for with all of his strength. Money was the thing that he loved most of all, that was the, at the bottom of his life. And so he couldn't give up all of that he would be like giving up his, his own life. So when Jesus says to him, essentially, can you imagine a world where you don't have any money? Can you imagine a world where, where there's no mansions, no vehicles, no great big parties that you've thrown, no social status that all of that money gives you? Can you imagine a world with no money and just me? Would that be enough for you? Jesus asks him and he says no and walks away. That leaves us in a hard position as well, doesn't it? Because Jesus is asking the same question of us. Could we hold everything in our lives out in open hands and give it all to Jesus? 
Well, the disciples say, no, it's impossible. I mean, if a rich man can't do that, who has all the spare time in the world to do religious stuff and give to the poor and that kind of stuff, if a rich man can't do it, then nobody can do it. And Jesus says, you're right. It's impossible with man. In fact, it's like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. That's not a reference to some gate in Jerusalem or something. It's just a, it's kind of a comedy way of just saying it's impossible. You can't get something the size of a family car through the eye of a needle. You can't do it. And so people can't change their hearts. You can't just make yourself love God. You can't change yourself. And the disciples are flabbergasted. And, and so we're, we're left looking around for another way. And, and what are we left looking at? We're left looking at Jesus, looking at the other rich young man in the story. Did you see that? I mean, Jesus is rich, but rich way beyond this other man. Jesus is the one who owns the world because he made the world. Jesus is the one who made you and me, who, who put it all together, who is the king who owns it all. The one who is sitting with God the Father in heaven from eternity past, praised by angels, enjoying all of that wealth and position and privilege, but, but he's the one who's given all of that up who came down to be a person like you and me, to be limited to a human body like us, to suffer and be mocked, to be misunderstood, to be rejected and and for people just to turn a blind eye to him. And eventually, he came here to die. Just a few pages later in the Bible, a couple of scenes later in the story, and Jesus is on a cross, dying in darkness. He's walked away sad. And God the Father has turned away from him and he's screaming out my god my god why have you forsaken me see jesus is taking what we deserve he's taking what this man in the story deserves this man who's walked away from god who's loved anything who's put at the center of his heart something that isn't god he's walked away from him he deserves to be to be left in darkness he deserves to have god turn his face away from him forever But God doesn't do that to him or to us. Jesus comes instead and Jesus stands in our place and Jesus walks away sad up that hill to a place of crucifixion to die in darkness so that we can walk close to God. He walked away sad so that we could come in and know peace. He died so that we could know life and eternal life. He, the one who gives us breath day by day, ran out of breath and died on a cross. He did that to love us. He did that to pay the cost. You see, that's what it costs. This man couldn't pay it. You and I couldn't pay it. But Jesus has paid it all. Jesus has paid the cost on the cross for you and I to be brought in to God's family, to be brought close to him. That's a stunning story, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that that wakes your heart up. It's the kind of thing that that if you, if you were to come and kneel at his cross and say, Lord, I can't do this. I, I give you, to you all of my failures. If you were to come and look at him dying for you and see that he did that for you, that would change your heart and you'd begin to love him. You'd begin to love him with your heart, soul, mind and strength. I like to think that that's what the man in the story might have done. We don't know the end of the story, but, but perhaps he would have gone home and realised in his sadness that it was impossible that Jesus had given him something impossible to do. And so perhaps he would have turned back and come back to Jesus and said, Lord, I I can't do it. There must be another way. Could you help me? And that's what Jesus is calling us to do today, 
to give up our lives, to do a 180 degree turn, to stop walking away from him and to turn back and say, I can't, I can't give you my whole life. I can't change my heart on my own. I need you to do something for me. I need you to do it in my place. And he says yes to doing that. He loves to take our sin, our problems on his shoulders and carry us through, make us clean and bring us into peace and forgiveness. I like to think it's a little bit like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, when Charlie Bucket uh, gets the golden ticket at the beginning, but he has to, hold, has to hand it in. He has to hand it over to Willy Wonka and, and he doesn't know what's going to happen in the end. But sorry, this is a bit of a spoiler. But at the end, Willy Wonka gives Charlie Bucket, this poor little kid, everything. Gives him his whole factory, all of his recipes. And he becomes this kind of weird uncle who... Oh yeah, it's a bit strange, but he gives him everything, all of the most delicious chocolate, all of the best recipes, all of the most mind-blowing sweets you could imagine in the world belong to Charlie. And he had to exercise that trust and give over his ticket at the beginning, but it was worth it. You see, if you see Jesus dying on the cross, you see how much he loves you, you see that he's welcoming you to everlasting life with his Father, you'll see that it's worth it. But maybe we still have some doubts. I mean, is it really worth giving my whole life for that? Well, that's the question on the disciples' lips. They say, well, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And they really had, they left a lot. What then will there be for us? Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth. When we hear Jesus say that, we really should listen up. I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when I make all things new, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. See, Jesus says, listen up, gives us this great guarantee. Will it really be worth it? Yes, it will beyond your imagination. Yes, it will. There's going to be a day when we'll see it all clearly. When Jesus comes and turns the world the right way up again, when he renews all things, makes everything sad come untrue, there'll be a day when we see Jesus for who he really is, when we see him sitting on this glorious throne and where he'll invite us to come and sit with him. The disciples had, had lost reputation. People thought they were idiots. They mocked them and and thought them the lowest of the low, but Jesus had promised that they would have everything, that they would be raised up and lifted up, and, and they'd lost possessions. They'd turned their backs on livelihoods and businesses and all sorts of things like that, and Jesus says, you'll get it back a hundredfold. It'll be restored to you because everything belongs to me, and you belong to me, so everything I have belongs to you. It's yours. Do you see why Jim Elliot says he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Maybe you've given up relationships, maybe loved ones have turned their backs on you or you've had to walk away from others because you wanted to walk towards Jesus. Maybe you've lost livelihoods and security and future and you just feel really unsteady following Jesus. It's a, it can be a difficult life. But Jesus says, he gives you this great guarantee, he says, listen to me, there'll be a day when it'll all be worth it. There'll be a day when you see me, when all things are put right and all of your scars are healed and turned into glory and you'll see, you'll see that it was worth it. 
There's an eternal weight of glory being prepared for us that makes every kind of suffering worth it. And it's a physical glory. Did you see that? They're sitting on thrones. They're owning possessions. They're embracing brothers and sisters and family and children. They're walking in fields that are theirs, that are beautiful. It's a renewed world where we walk with real feet. Like Jesus in his resurrection walked with real feet, where we embrace with real hands and coach people with real arms, where we see people with with real eyes, where Jesus wipes the tears away, where we get to sit down and feast with him forever. See, this is a really wonderful hope. This is the kind of hope that stirs your heart up, that says everything I have is on the table. Let me write you a blank check with my life so that all I have belongs to you. Take it all. I can't hold on to it anyway. Take all the stuff that I can't hold on to so that I could have everything that I'll never lose. Can I read you a beautiful little quotation? This comes from a woman called um, Joni Erickson Tada. She was somebody who, when she was a teenager, um, dived into a stream, uh, into a lake that was too, too uh, shallow, and she broke her neck, so she's been a paraplegic for decades now. She was in a church service where everybody got down on their knees and started to pray, and she started to cry, not out of jealousy or bitterness. Well, let me read you what she says. Sitting there in that service, I was reminded that in heaven, I will be free to jump up, dance, kick, and do aerobics. And sometime before the guests are all called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I'll quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. I, with shriveled bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in immortality, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me? I think one of the problems we have is that we we just can't imagine that. We're not good at imagining that. We, we feel like this world, this broken world, is the only world that there really is, that these bodies that the, are the only bodies we'll ever have, that these possessions are the only things we'll ever possess, that these relationships are the only loves we'll ever know. And so we find it really difficult to let those things go, to hand them over to the Lord Jesus, to hold them in open hands. We find it hard to give him everything. But what if the resurrect, in the resurrection of Jesus, he promised a new world, new bodies, new restored relationships, new lives with him in the renewed world. Do you see the hope that that gives you? I mean, not just hope for the future, but hope for right now as well. Hope that helps us through the most difficult of suffering. Hope that helps us through when we're even facing death when we're facing horrible hardships and sufferings, we can know, because of this hope, we can know that these sufferings, they're just going to make me better. Or they'll kill me, and then they'll really make me better, as somebody says. I mean, they'll they'll help me to grow in trust of the Lord Jesus. They'll help me grow in character, because I know that, that that not all is lost. They'll help me to have hope, and I'll press on through. I'll become somebody who's deeper and richer and more beautiful in maturity. Either that, or it'll kill me. And then it'll bring me straight into the presence of Jesus and that really will be worth it. You see, it gives us great courage to have a hope like this. It gives us amazing courage, even in the deepest, darkest, saddest of times, that when we bring all of our scars, all of our pain, all of our tears on that final day to Jesus, he'll put it all right. He'll make everything sad come untrue. That's amazing hope that we have. 
I want to ask you, do you have that hope? It's something that you enjoy and praise God for and just something that stirs up your heart and, and gets you out of bed every day. Do you have that kind of hope? Well, I'm going to pray in a second and ask that the Lord Jesus would give us that hope. We're going to pray and you could follow along with me if you like. It's just a simple prayer where we, where we bring to Jesus all of our faults and sins, all of our, our failure to pay the cost of eternal life. And then we say, Lord Jesus, but I give that all to you. Would you pay the cost? So we say sorry, then we say please, would you forgive me? And then we say thank you. Thank you for this amazing hope. Would you help me to live in that forever? But maybe you're not quite ready for that. Maybe you've still got lots of questions and doubts. Let me ask you a question to help you kind of think this through a little bit. I want you to think about a scale. Imagine a scale here from zero to 10. Zero is, I don't believe any of it at all. Complete, complete nonsense. Now, if that's you, thank you for listening this far. Um, and 10, 10 is, I believe it all. Zero doubts, no questions, just take me right now. Nought to 10, where do you stand on that scale? And not just where do you stand, but where is it sensible to take that step of faith and put your hand into Jesus' hands and trust him? Is it at eight or nine? You know, when you're pretty much almost certain, absolutely sure, is it then that it makes sense to take a step of faith? Well, no, I think if you think about it, it's just after you pass five. Because if you're halfway sure, just past halfway sure, that Jesus really is real and true, that he's God who died for you, that he rose again to give you hope, if you're just past halfway sure of that, then it's a smaller step of faith to take his hand and live for him than it is to turn around and walk away. It would be a bigger step of faith to say no and go back to zero and walk away from him. So where are you? Are you just past halfway? Then can I encourage you to take all of your doubts, all of your questions, and do what this young man did. Do what these disciples did. Bring those questions to Jesus and let him speak to you. Let him carry you. Let him teach you. Let him be the one that you give everything for so that you get to see him on that final day and rejoice in that hope forever. Come on, let's pray. And if you'd like, you can follow along with me as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're real. We thank you that you walked with us on this earth. We thank you that you died for us to take away our sins. We thank you that you rose again on the third day to give us this amazing hope. So Lord, I'm sorry now. I want to say sorry for all the ways that I've walked away from you. All the sins that I've done, all of the ways that I've loved other things instead of loving you. Lord, I'm sorry for that and I bring them to your cross and ask you to forgive me. Lord, would you forgive me and give me peace? And would you give me this joy, this rock solid living hope of knowing that it won't be long before you renew all things and take us to be with you forever. Lord, we thank you so much for that hope. We pray that you'd help us to live in it day by day, that it would stir up our hearts, not just as we think about the future, but that it would change the way we live day by day and give us hope to live for you and love those around us to your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer along with me, can I invite you to, to tell somebody that you did? Maybe a Christian friend that you know, share with them, and they'd love to chat with you about how, uh, what it looks like to kind of live with Jesus day by day. Or you could get in contact with us as a church uh, on the website or on Facebook or YouTube, however you like. Please do come and let us know that you've started with walking with Jesus um, today. We'd love to walk with you through that. Amen.